those days when judges ruled, there was famine in the land. All right, so these, these things come, okay? And a man of Bethlehem went in Judah to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So a man of Bethlehem. Okay, you know where Bethlehem is. The name of the man was Imelech, and his wife, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Shilion, and they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem and Judea, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Imelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives, the name of the one was Ophrah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. And both Mahlon and Chilion died, so that the women were left without her two sons and her husband. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Wow. The return is because of good news. The Lord had visited his people and had given them food. Now, beloved, I know in the middle of this pandemic, you need to hear verses like that. God will visit us and make sure that our needs are met. Amen. God will never fail you. God will never forsake you. God will never abandon you. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now notice, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. These were good daughter-in-laws. Okay, these, these were not divas, all right? The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So she said, I want you to get remarried. All right, so she's saying, remarry. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, 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 we will return with you to your people. And Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my wombs that they may become your husband? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear you sons, would you wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for the sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, let's stop here on a couple of things. I want you to notice she understood. She understood the natural desires of these women, her daughter-in-laws, to have children, and they had had none. And she said, you know, I understand this. Now, uh, the reason I bring this out is sometimes, you know, I meet young men and they've been married two, three years and their wife's wanting children and they say, no, we're not ready yet. No, we're not ready yet. No, you're not. We're not ready yet. But your wife is now 31, 32 years old. Now, now some of you young men need to understand that just as God created you young men with certain desires and things, God created women with desires. And one of those desires of the heart of a woman it's to children. So some of you guys, I mean, please forgive me. You know, you, you, you want to you hang on. Please, guys, don't get mad at me. But some of you guys, you want to hang on to your, your carefree days. And you don't want to start a family. 
She, you know, even Naomi understood her daughter-in-laws. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now notice, she clung to her, but look at the bitterness. Look at the bitterness in Naomi's life. This could not have necessarily been an easy situation. You see, when you believe that life is bitter, you usually make life rough on everybody else around you also. You're not, you're not a happy person, okay? And, and you know, when, when people really believe that God has made their lives bitter, they're usually not the nicest, easiest people to be around. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Now she blames God. This, this to me is always amazing. Here is a woman who is going to be part of the story of Messiah. I mean, Ruth became one of the ancestors of Messiah. This Moabite woman. <laughs> you need to remember that. And here it is, is Naomi saying, call me Mara. Why? Because the Lord has made life very bitter for me. She, she blames God. It is, it's amazing to me. When good things happen, people say, oh, it must be the devil. God, the devil is blessing them. The devil is deceiving them. But when bad things happen, everybody blames God. Have you ever looked at these, these things that they put in the insurance clauses, you know, God-related events? Well, why is every disaster a God-related event? No, that's, a, that, that's, that's an act of the devil. That's not acts of God. That's acts of the devil. Everything negative, people want to blame God for. And brothers and sisters, let me just pause here. You've got to stop blaming God for the problems in your life. God is the solution. God is not your problem. God is the solution, not the cause. God is the solution. He's not the cause. So I, I would beg of you, and I know this is hard for some of you because life is very difficult right now. But would you just pause for a minute and remember that God is good and his mercy endures forever. Don't, don't allow bitterness to come into your heart because you think God is caught. Well, God made me lose my job. It's God's fault. I sowed, I tithed. Look at all the bad things that happened to me. Ah, rah, 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 rah. You know what? There's a lot of things in this life I don't understand. But I can remember when Sister Bev was going through that surgery a couple of years ago now. 
And it was like eight hours and I'm sitting there alone in her hospital room. And sometimes I couldn't even pray. But I would just sit there in that chair and I would sing it and I would speak it. And sometimes I just whispered it. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And beloved, some of you, you need to do that today. You may not understand all the stuff that's happening around you, but God is never the cause of your problems. God is good. Everything he does is good. Every word he speaks is good. Stop blaming God and start opening your heart to him. Draw close to him. As you draw near to him, he draws near to you. God is the solution. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Wow, blaming God. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity against me, upon me? Grab it. She's just, she has a heart. She has a heart full of blaming God. She has a heart full of blame. Now, beloved, please, you got to get that out of your heart. Every word you speak about God is negative. Look at what God has done to me. Oh, beloved, Jesus died on a cross to take the punishment of your sins so that you could not be appointed under wrath. Beloved, Jesus rose from again to give you a new life. Beloved, Jesus broke the curse off of your life curse of the law, that the blessings of Abraham could flow to you and covenants of promise could be yours. Please. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Emelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said, go, my daughter. Now this is, this is how the poor survived, okay? This is a part of the law. This is how the poor survived. This was a welfare plan in the law. In the law, you were not allowed to go back over your field twice. The gleanings belonged to the poor. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Emelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, who, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reaper answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And it's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So this is a hard worker. This is a hard worker. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. This is be safe, okay? Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? 
And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Ah, her reputation opened doors. Her reputation opened doors. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and drip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed it to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. <laughs> oh, the generosity of Boaz's heart. You see, sometimes, folks, generosity leaves people their dignity. He knew that this was a hard-working woman, remember? He said, but just leave some extra behind for her. But, but let her pick it up, okay? Don't just walk up and give her a gift. She's a hard worker. Leave her her dignity, but leave a little extra gleanings behind. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an FF of barley. She took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her the food she had left over after being satisfied. Ah, so we have generosity. This is a girl. This is a good girl. I mean, she's a hard worker. And the food that she didn't eat, she didn't, she didn't just say, well, I'll need this for tomorrow. She went home and fed it to her mother-in-law because they were poor and probably hadn't eaten all day. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man that took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. <laughs> God. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead? Ah, her heart is changing. Her heart is changing. She's seeing. She's beginning to see the work of the unseen hand of God. That God had everything laid out. She just needed to get back in Israel where she belonged. She needed to get back to where her life belonged. Now, now here's a truth that you got to get a hold of. Sometimes we're out there suffering and we blame God when really we left the will of God for our lives. I mean, she left with her husband and went to another land and she knew that was not the right thing to do. When she gets herself back lined up with God's will, the blessings begin to flow again. And also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers, I know is ours, our. 
Ruth is considered family now. And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you may go out with his young women, lest in another field you may be assaulted. So this was dangerous. To go out and glean, this was dangerous. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Beautiful story. Beautiful practical truths. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. I like that. Large crowd following him. Not the apostles, him. Not the apostles. Following him. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. All right, so this is healing draws crowds to Jesus. Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. (laughs) There's several things I want you to see here. First of all, I want you to see leadership. Leadership asks questions to reveal hearts. The second thing I want you to see is (laughs) he knew what he was to do. God always has a plan. Now, sometimes God will ask you questions because he wants to see what's in your heart. But he always has a plan. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, But what are they among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. Yes, because it's the Galilee. It's full of water. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Notice 5,000 men. So when you start putting in women and children, you're probably looking at 20,000 plus, plus, plus. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated so also the fish, as much as they wanted. All right, so Jesus multiplies. Jesus multiplies. Not not the apostles, Jesus. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers that nothing may be lost. Principle, never waste. Just because you have abundance, never waste. You know, my grandfather taught me a little thing one time. He said, David, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never felt bad about money I did not spend. <laughs> he said, but I've had buyer's remorse a few times. Brothers and sisters, just because you have extra doesn't mean it needs to be spent. Now, my grandfather taught me that because here I am about 14 years old. I'd grown up poor. I'd never had much money. And now... I was working, I mean, 14 years old, yes, but I was working in a, in a gas station. I had money in my pocket. And my grandpa used to say, Davy, you should not let money burn a hole in your pocket. Davy, it's like you, it's like I felt compelled to spend money as a young boy because I'd grown up without money. Now, some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got money and you feel compelled to spend it. And so you, 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 
well, I can go do this, I can go do this. No, you don't have to go do anything. You don't have to go spend anything. One of the clear principles of Jesus is we do not waste, okay? He provided with abundance, okay? He provided with abundance. Everybody had as much as they wanted, all right? So there is abundant provision. There is abundant provision, but now never waste. Okay, everything is done. Everything is finished. Now there's going to be leftover. Learn to save it. Gather it up. Okay, never waste. Save. So they gathered up, gathered them up, and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. All right. Now, this is Satan's will. Satan said, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And this is also the world's will. But this is not God's will. Now, I emphasize this because many times Satan will bring temptation to your life. And you know how to resist that. You know, you know how to use the word to resist that. But later on, you'll find in life, people will bring the same temptations to you. Oh, we really think this should be done. Oh, you really should be this. Oh, you really should be doing that. But it's not God's will. Oftentimes, you'll find that the will of man and the will of the devil are the same. And the will of God is the one that stands out as unique. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into the boat and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It was not dark, but Jesus had not yet come to them. Why? Because he's up on that mountain by himself. Now, brothers and sisters, this is how you respond. You respond to Satan's temptation with the word. You respond to temptation coming through people by withdraw. Okay? Here's a key truth. How to respond to temptation flowing from people. You withdraw. You just, you pull yourself out of that situation. So responding to temptation coming from Satan, the word. Responding to temptation, the same thing flowing through people, withdraw from them, get out from under their influence, get away from their words. He got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. <laughs> now, you and I look at that and we take it for granted. But beloved, can you imagine being in the middle of Laguna Dubai in a big storm? And all of a sudden, somebody's walking on the water. Now, did he walk on the top of the waves? Did he walk in between the waves? I don't know. People ask me that question. They saw him walking on the water, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Invite Jesus into your boat. That's a nice sermon. I mean, that's just a nice sermon. 
You're in the middle of a crisis. Invite Jesus into the boat. <laughs> You're in the middle of, of a horrible catastrophe. Invite Jesus to sit down with you in the boat. Invite Jesus into your situation and watch Jesus fix it. Amen. Now, again, one of the most beautiful things I taught you today was two types of temptation that coming from Satan and that coming from the world. What you have to learn to do is you respond to them differently. Now, to close out today, let's get a little wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 22. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. Now, that's great wisdom. NLT puts it this way. Don't rob the poor just because you can. See, the poor are defenseless. But God will defend. you got to get a hold of that. Or crush the afflicted at the gate. Now, gates, gates are actually the place of decision. So, New Living Translation says, don't exploit the needy in court. You see, folks, oftentimes in court, money wins, okay? Money wins in court. Money wins. And she said, don't use your money to win. Why? For the Lord will plead their cause and rob life of those who rob them. All right? He'll rob life. Wow. You want to have a short life? Start exploiting the poor. Start taking advantage and crushing the needy in court because you have money and you can hire fancier lawyers and you can pay bribes under the table. That'll shorten your life. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Now, everybody gets mad sometimes, but if you see a guy who's always angry, you know, I've been around men, and please forgive me if you're a young man because sometimes you make this mistake. They're always yelling at their wife in public. They're always humiliating their wife in public. Now, you know, when you get around a guy who just lives angry, you know what? Don't make friends with a person like that. Yes, people need to be angry. God gets angry. Sometimes anger has to be used as a tool to control a situation. But when people just walk around angry all the time, you don't want to be around them. Make no friendship or no go with a, a wrathful man, a hot-tempered person. People just blow up at anything. Lest you learn their ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, here's the reason. Your friends change you. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Hang out with a generous man and you'll find you become more generous. Hang out with a hot-tempered man, you'll find out you become hot-tempered. Ah, hang out with a lustful man, you find that you're getting lust in your heart. You have to learn. Friends change you. And uh, yes, oh no, pastor, I'm in this relationship because I'm going to change them. You know, it never really works that way, does it? Bad company corrupts good morals. Remember that verse and go look it up and type it in. Bad company corrupts good morals. It never says that the good morals corrupt bad people, make them better. Bad company corrupts good morals. Beloved, learn to choose your friends because friends change you. All right, we're going to see.